Well, Bob and Jane find themselves in that waiting room of their family physician, and they're waiting for the results from the tests that have been run on Bob. He's been ill for a long time, six months. Didn't know what to do about it, so you know he got advice from his friends, and you know the friends have remedies that have worked for them, didn't work for him. He's gone to the pharmacy, and the pharmacy has given him over-the-counter pills and remedies, and he's tried that, but it really didn't work. He's gone to his church, and his church has prayed for him, and he's prayed. It hasn't changed anything. He feels worse than he did before. So he finally told Jane, and, and Jane said, you've got you to see a doc. You've got to see our, our doctor. He cares about us. And, and so he says, okay, I'll, I'll go see the doc. And so the doc has taken the test, and now they're back in the waiting room waiting, you know, waiting to get the results from the test, like so many people are waiting. In fact, I suspect that you've time, spent time in the waiting room, haven't you? It may, may not be a doctor. Your name is not Bob. Your name is not Jane. I get that. That's just a made-up couple that I've uh, developed for this idea. And the waiting room is a doctor's waiting room. But that doesn't have to be a doctor's waiting room. It's just a place where you're, you're waiting for answers to whatever's going on in life to solve the problems that you're facing. And the problem may be simple or easy, or it may be crippling, and it may be destroying your life. But you're waiting, because that's what you do when you have those kinds of problems. You wait for an answer for him to come back, for, for the kids to find a path that's sustainable, uh, for the job to open up, for your health to straighten out, whatever it is. You, you make up the details of the story. It's, uh, it's the kind of thing that I suspect that every one of us has spent some time in. It's the waiting room. What's funny about the waiting room is we think that it's the exception to life. <laughs> Truth is, the waiting room is life. Yeah, it, it is the step towards the next one, but it's always a waiting room, and we're almost always in a waiting room at some time, and we're almost always, at least those of us who identify as Christians, we are asking God to move us on in the waiting room. Last two times I was at Renaissance to speak, I talked about Esther from the Old Testament book uh, that carries her name. You may remember some of that, but what we were doing, we started out in chapter 2, and then we jumped to chapter 4. And uh, in chapter 2, you'll know that, that Esther is uh, placed in the position of being the queen of Xerxes, who was the historic uh, emperor of the Persian Empire, <laughs> empire that stretched from India all the way down into Egypt and up into the, into the European area as well. It's a mammoth empire, largest of its kind up until that time, and she was the queen. Unlikely candidate to be the queen, but because she was Jewish. And the Jewish were a dominated people, and they were captured by the Babylonians before that. Now Persia has taken over the Babylonians, so now they own the Jews. And, and so there's lots of Jews in Susa, the capital, and she becomes the queen in that place. You might remember chapter 4, Mordecai, her, her cousin, who has become her adopted father because her parents died at an early age. Mordecai has, has come to the place where the palace stands, but he can't go any further than that because he's... He doesn't have a right to go into the palace, though he's a trusted servant of Xerxes. And you might remember that he, he sends a messenger to, to, uh, to his adopted daughter Esther and says, you've got to do something. And she wants to know why, and the messenger goes back and forth. And you might remember that, 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 that there's going to be a holocaust about a year from now, that uh, Haman, the, uh, the Hitler of his day, um, he's, he's appealed to the emperor. He's given him money. So that about a year from now, a decree is going out right now that about a year from now, 
the Jews are going to be killed all over the empire, not just in Susa. And Esther takes the charge, the challenge. She says no at first because she's afraid. She doesn't want to be put in that position. She could lose everything. But you know what happens. Mordecai goes back to her and says, you're going to lose anyway. God will take care of his people, but Esther, you're going to lose. You've got to do something. God's placed you in this position for this time. And so Esther says, okay. And Esther says, I'm going to fast for three days. That means pray. I'm going to lay this before God. I'm not, not going to eat for three days. And I'm going to have my other people who are here with me in the palace not, not eat for three days and pray and, and, and assault the throne of heaven and plead with God to save the Jews. Save, save us, Lord. Now, Mordecai, you go get the other Jews in Susa, and you get them to join us on a three-day fast. That's where we were in chapter 4. By the time we get to chapter 8, <laughs> there's been this amazing turnaround in the midst of it. In fact, in chapter 8, she's sitting in the waiting room until she gets to chapter 8, and finally somebody comes through the door of the waiting room and says, it's okay, there's, you're going to be okay, your people are going to be okay. Don't worry. And the whole thing has been reversed, and... And Haman is going to be the one on the pole that was meant for Mordecai, dying. And Haman's treasure and his property and everything is going to go to Esther, and Mordecai is going to watch over that for Esther. Your Jewish friends call that uh, holiday Purim, and they'll celebrate that in the spring every year. It's the longest-lasting, continuously celebrated uh, holiday on the Jewish calendar. Everybody celebrates it because it's an amazing, historic miracle in saving the Jewish people from the Holocaust of that day. That's what it's like in the waiting room. That's how life in the waiting room goes, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes that's how it goes, yes? Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't turn out that way. And sometimes the answer doesn't come in three days. Sometimes, you know, your cause is just, sometimes your purpose is right. Sometimes you have the greatest motivation and, and you take those three days and you lay it before God and your friends lay it before God and you go to the doctor and you get the test run and you get the treatments and all that stuff and, and it doesn't turn out that way. The waiting room, that's what it's like for a lot of us who lived in the waiting room. Until the moment it turned around, Esther lived in the waiting room. You're living in the waiting room. If you're not in the waiting room now, you will be. <laughs> I don't know how soon, but you will be. I suspect, though, if you dig deep enough and scratch beneath the surface, you'll find that you're living in the waiting room now in one sense or another. So really the question that I want to open up this morning, and, and we can discuss this at another time more, but, but the question is, how do I live well in the waiting room? Because I want to live well. I want to do the right things but I'm so disappointed because the waiting room goes on and on and on and the answer doesn't come back. And the answer that seems to come back isn't the right answer. It isn't the answer I looked for. So, so how do I deal with that? How do I, how do I live well in, in the waiting room? That's the question, waiting for the door to open. And I would propose to you that Jesus tells us how to live well by the way Jesus lives well in the waiting room. He not only talks about it. He shows us what it's like to be in the waiting room. And the passage for this morning is in the Gospel of Matthew. It's chapter 26. And I know Clay took you to the cross last week. I'm going to take you to those moments before the cross in Matthew chapter 26. And I'd like to read starting with verse 36 for about 10 verses of that chapter. 
Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, not as, yet not as I will, but, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. I would submit to you that this is the waiting room for Jesus. It's not the only one that he sat in, but it's the one he's in in this particular passage of Matthew right now. It's the waiting room for him. And if you'll notice, you'll find that there are typically several chairs in the waiting room. And we don't usually sit in one chair uh, all the time in the waiting room. We move from chair to chair. At least that's been my experience in my own life and that of other people as well. And in fact, the, the funny thing about the, the chairs is that sometimes we've got a cheek on more than one chair. I mean, that's just the way it is. We're not settled in any one chair for a long time. And we end up moving around a lot. And I think that's what I see with the Lord Jesus. In fact, one of those chairs, I would label the word submit over it. The word is submit to me. We may fight it, but eventually the reality sets in about our circumstances, about what's going on, about things we have no control over, about remedies we've not found. In fact, earlier in that chapter, in verse 31, you can see Jesus coming to that place. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. He knows. He knows what's going on. He knows what's going to happen. In fact, the next verse, it says, but after I have risen, he knows that too, I will go ahead of you into, into Galilee. Jesus knows the end is near. He knows that the victory is going to come, but he knows what he has to do for right now. I have to go into that place. I just have to. Therefore, I willingly, though it's painful, I submit to what has to come. God will win. Got that. Understand that. But he knows that there's going to be a lot of blood on the road between here and there. It's going to be intense and very, very difficult. In some sense, it's almost a mental conviction. You know, it's almost the kind of resolution where you see the things that have to be done and you don't like them and you'd rather not do them, but you say, I got to do this, so I'm going to do this. And lots of us go through those periods of time in which we say, I, I don't want to do this, I, but I got to do this because of all these other factors and all these other reasons around me, so I'm going to do this. It reminds me of an Old Testament prophet who lived, oh, 15 years before the fall of Jerusalem. And he saw it coming. He knew it was going to come. But he resolved in his mind that he was going to do what he has to do 
is going to wait on God. It's kind of the picture of submitting to me. His name is Habakkuk, and his picture comes up in chapter 3. It's 605 B.C. Jerusalem will fall in 586, 587. Another hundred years will go by before we get to Xerxes and this picture in Esther. Verse 16, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. That nation is Babylon. That day of calamity will come on them when Persia takes Babylon. But that's far off in the future and we have no idea if Habakkuk lived at that time. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The, the submitting that I, I'm thinking about is the kind of crazy, stubborn, defiant, disciplined decision to do what's right, to stick in there. And I, I tell you honestly, 15 years ago, 16 years ago when I hit the wall, that's all I had. That's all I had. I think I've told you about the coin I carry in my pocket, that if I should go down a wrong track, my family's going to suffer as one side reminds me of that. The other side is that my church is going to suffer and the third is that a waiting world that wants to see somebody living for the Lord is going to suffer. So I keep this coin because I need to be... And that coin tells me, okay, Peter, you may not like it. You may not have come to resolution on it, but you submit. So you go to the surgeon. You say yes to the chemo. You fight in the trial. You get counseling. You learn a new skill for a new kind of job. You stay away from her. You stay away from him. You just flat refuse to quit. That's submitting. Our father, founding fathers said that when they said, I'll join the militia. I may not come back, but I'll join the militia. I'll take my stand and I'll fight. I'll go. That's submitting. I don't want to. But for my family... For freedom, I'll do what I have to do. That's submitting. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it keeps us out of trouble. It's the chair called submit. It's a good place to start. But we don't usually stay there. In fact, somewhere along the line, in the midst of it, we grow tired of that and we begin to struggle. And we begin to struggle when we realize how painful this is and how hard this is. And we don't like struggling either, especially with God. But, you know, we've been taught, I don't struggle with God, but I, I have to because that's where I am and that's what I, I have to do. I have to struggle. And I think I, my, my, my idea is that Jesus was moving further into the waiting room and switching seats at this point that I read to you earlier. Let me, let me show you why I say that in Matthew 26, verse 37. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. He began to be. He wasn't before this. He is now. Why? Because he's moving further in. And he's going to struggle. Verse 38, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now it's overwhelmed. Now it's, it's the point of, of uh, sorrow to the point of death. Verse 39, going a little farther, 
He fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as, as you will. And how many times did he pray that? He prayed that three times. Why? Because he struggled. That's why. In fact, Luke, thank God for Dr. Luke, physician of the day, he adds a detail that nobody else counts worthy to add. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What is that called? That's called struggle. That's what it is. It reminds me of the Old Testament patriarch Jacob in the waiting room. He has cheated his brother Esau over and over and over and over again. Now he's got to face him. And Esau has the upper hand. So, so Jacob struggles with the angel of the Lord. He struggles with God throughout the night. In fact, the, the result of that struggling with God is good because God touches his heart and he touches his hip and he'll never forget the struggle that he went through because he was honest with God. It's a good thing for him to be honest with God. But, but it gets really heavy when you struggle. That's why you struggle, because it's really heavy. It's no easy fix. It's going to be painful. It'll take everything I have and then some far beyond my ability to bear it and to deal with it. I'm afraid... I don't know if I can do it. That is exactly where we found Esther in Esther chapter 4. When Mordecai said, you need to go to talk to the king, she said, I can't. I can't. He hasn't called me for 30 days. 30 days. I'm, I'm not even sure that I'm the queen anymore. Chapter 1, he did away with the queen because she didn't show up at his party. She knows. She knows her value. She's struggling. Why not? But if we'll hang in there, there's another chair in the room. That other chair is called surrender, like we sang about just a minute ago. We go from submit to struggle, and hopefully we get to surrender. And the surrender is not so much to our circumstances or to the, to the things that are wrong in our world and are affecting us in a wrong way, but, but, but surrender goes to to a larger picture of God where I, I, I can now see that maybe there's a purpose for this and, and maybe this is the kind of thing that I have to enter into and it may be that I'm going to be passive or I'm going to be active. It doesn't really define that in terms of, I don't know the circumstances and you don't either, but, but surrender means I get a, a bigger picture for this and, and, and I don't have to submit by my will alone anymore and, and I don't have to struggle anymore. I can finally come to a place where I say, Yes. Yes. And I'm saying yes to God. Like it did with Jesus. Convinced that this was the only way to save his people. That, that uh, the, the righteous God demanded that a sacrifice be made. And, and the righteous God is not asking his people to make the sacrifice. He's, he's doing it himself in the form of his son. And, and so the righteous God is going to sacrifice his son. And Jesus is the only one who can adequately pay for my sins and for yours and for countless other people. And so, so all of that seems to come together with Jesus. And he finally says, okay. So he goes forward from that place. And, and you read it, or I read it to you. He leaves that place and he goes with the disciples. And he says to him, okay, let's go. It's time to go. Why? Well, because he's reached surrender. And there's a sweetness about that. You say, wait a minute, that sounds like submit. And I know it sounds like submit, but it, the way I'm using it, at least, 
I don't mean the same thing as I mean with submit. Submit is, I'm going to do this. I'm going to fight my way through this. Surrender is, okay, okay, I'll do this. And there's an amazing sweetness about that. And you're no longer like this, you're like this. Okay, if that's what I need to do for the bigger picture to come to pass, for the glory of God to be seen, here's the way it was for Jesus. At least this is the way the writer in Hebrews puts it. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's surrender. That's the waiting room. It is submit, because I've got to do that, because I don't want to hurt my family, and I don't want to destroy people around me. So I, so I submit, and as I, I feel the weight of it, I, I struggle, but then... But then as I see this bigger picture, as I cry out to God, th then I'm willing to surrender. Does that make sense to you? I mean, really? Okay, let me, let me just close very quickly by, by giving you some things to remember when you're in the waiting room. I think will be helpful tools to you. They're not new, and you probably know them already, but I want to remind you of them. One of them is that when you're in the waiting room, you may be just moments away from a good report. <laughs> moments? A day? Five days? Ten days? I, I don't know how long. But you may be just moments away from the report that you've been asking God to give you. Esther was three days before God, and she didn't know it. Three days laying it before God. The people of Susa, the Jews, were laying it before God. Three days they had to lay it before God, and then the report came in, and the report was good. Jonah was three days. The belly of the fish. The report came back. Jesus was three days. In the belly of the earth, and then the resurrection. Three days. You don't know, but you got to think about it. You say, but I don't know if the report's going to come back in three days for me. Three days I can make. Four, I can't. You know? I, don't, I don't even know if in three days or four days the answer's going to be good. I got that. I understand that. But I want you to listen carefully because for men and women who are in Jesus Christ, there is a final report that is good, better than any you could ever imagine, even though the reports of this day might not be good. The ultimate waiting room is good in terms of the report. Here it is, Romans chapter 8, verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's it, it's called heaven. It's called heaven. Gail Marine's mom passed from this life today. Trusting in Christ, it's called heaven. Moments away from a good report. The second thing I would remind you of is there's something really good in each chair. There really is. And I know we switch around, and sometimes we sit in more than one. I, I get that. I, I understand that. And we're really not satisfied with one for very long. Sometimes we'll go from, from, from submitting to, to struggle and then back to submitting and, you know, 
we realize how big the damage will be, so we go back to submitting. And then we go to struggle because it hurts so much and it's so painful. And, and, and I, I get that. I understand that. There's something good about it, though, because the submitting is for the good of other people. And that's not a bad thing. If I had gone off track with a, another woman, if I had, if I had gone off track with uh, taking money that didn't belong to me, if I'd gone off track with a power place, if I, my family would be a disaster today. I wasn't surrendering at that point. I was just submitting. I said, I got to do this. I got to get this taken care of. I got to go see somebody. I got to get some help. If I have to take medicine, I have to take medicine. But, but whatever I have to do, I got to do it. Why? Because of everybody who is depending on me. So I submitted. But, but then I struggled because <laughs> I was honest. If you aren't honest in the midst of the waiting room, that's, that's not helpful. Somewhere along the line, you've got to come to the point where you say, oh, God, I can't stand this anymore. <laughs> that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm going to submit, but boy, I just hate this. And we don't need to be embarrassed about that. You know, as, as you struggle with God over the circumstances of your life, you don't need to be embarrassed about that. You see other people in the Bible struggling with God, Jesus even. So don't be embarrassed by that. But remember, and this is the third thing to remember, that surrender is the best chair. And surrender, though I'm not there in the beginning and I'm not there in the struggle, and I'm not there for <laughs> all the time, I guess, surrender is really the chair I want to get to. Where I move through these things and I, and I do submit for the good of other people and for the things that have been placed in my hand, but where, I, where I struggle with God, and in the midst of my struggle, I get so captivated by what, what could happen as a result of this and what God may be planning to do. And even if I can't figure that out, I get so captivated by the glory of God and the goodness of God, and I'm so moved by the death of Jesus and his substitutionary death for my sake, and I look up to God, I say, oh God, I can't put this together, but it must be good, it must be okay. So I go from here to here. And I surrender. It's the best chair. It's the chair you're not in all the time. I get that. And that's okay. But I want you to know, it's the best chair. It's the chair you need to head for. You need to go to. Like Esther. She says, if I perish, I perish. I'm going in to see the king. She's at surrender. It's like the apostles. They're hauled before the, call, the, the Sanhedrin. They're told, don't speak of Jesus. She's, they say, we got to obey God. <laughs> You know, this may not go well with us, but we've got to obey God. That's surrender. And it is ultimately, Jesus, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Yeah. That's surrender. And there's a sweetness about that, and there's a peace about that. Surrendering is trusting God. It is nothing less. It is not karma. It is not, I'll figure it out. It is, God will work this thing out. I am going to put myself in his hands. best chair. Not always there, but that's where we want to be. That's life in the waiting room. So as you think about your waiting room and as you think about the chairs in there, you might think about where am I? What chair am I in? And, and you know the chair that you want to head for. You may be in the, in the submitting chair. Please, please keep on submitting until you come to the struggle. Don't give up. 
Don't walk away from your family. Don't walk away from your kids or your job. Don't walk away from, from the things that are important to the kingdom of God. Just say, I'm going to stay here until I can move on to the other one because I got too many people depending on me. You may not have a coin in your pocket, but you got the idea in your head. It's got to be in your heart where you hang on. You do what you have to do. If I have to leave, I have to leave. Okay, that's uncertain for me, and I don't like that, but I got to do that because, because he's beating people up. That's submitting too. Until I get to the place where, God, this is not fair. I'm, I'm struggling. I, I don't, I'm sick of this. I'm struggling with your, your righteousness and your goodness, and I don't get it. I don't figure it out. I can't make sense of it. Until in the midst of that struggle with God, and you see it over and over and again in the Psalms, David is struggling with God, and the other writers of the Psalms are struggling with God, and sometimes they don't come to a nice, easy conclusion at the end of the psalm <laughs> but they still struggle with God they still reach out to God and finally God brings them a place where I say okay okay that's surrender okay that's where I need to be that's the best chair our prayer at all times in the midst of this really needs to be Lord hang on to me and walk me to the best chair if you've had surgery you know what I'm talking about I've had minor surgery, not really very serious surgery, but I can remember when they told me, okay, you got to walk down that hallway to that point and then walk back. And I say, you got to be kidding. Are you crazy? No, we'll help you. And so you hang on to their arm or they hang on to yours and they walk you down to that point where you have to be and then you come back again. And that keeps the process of healing going. What I have to do is I have to reach out for Jesus and say, Jesus, would you walk me down the hall of this waiting room until I can finally get my place to a place, my heart to a place of surrender? And what Jesus is, it says is, okay, take my hand and walk with me. So welcome to the waiting room. Figure out where you are. If you're not in a waiting room, give it a minute or two. <laughs> Sorry, bearer of bad news, <laughs> you will be. But if you're in that waiting room, find out where you are. I'm submitting for the good of people around me. I'm submitting because that's the only option I have. I have to do this for now. I'm going to do this for now. Don't, don't, don't say that's not good. That's, that's okay. It's not the end place you want to go to. It's not the final step. You don't want to stay there forever, but boy, oh boy, a lot, of, a lot of good is done by men and women who commit themselves to submit and do what's right. Feel free to go to the chair that's called struggle because it's in struggle that you have a chance of seeing the glory of God, purpose of God, the bigger picture, bigger portrait of what God's all about. And most of all, what you end up seeing is the love of God in Jesus Christ who went through his own waiting room just like you are, only it was immensely harder for him than it can ever be for you. And that leads you to a place of, okay, surrender. Empty hands, arms held wide, as the song says, surrender. Let's pray together, please. There are people before me, Lord, who know exactly what I'm talking about, and they have been in that chair, surrender, and they may right be, be there right now in the midst of the circumstances of their lives. 
and I thank you for every one of them, and I pray, God, that there will be times where they can encourage other people to grab hold of Jesus' hand like they have been able to grab hold of Jesus' hand and walk down the, the aisle until they finally get to a place where they are in a place of surrender. But there are others of us who are in the other chairs. We are, we are, we are struggling or we are submitting, or maybe we haven't even admitted that there's a waiting room and we're in it. Oh, God, move us along, won't you please? We reach out for your hand and ask God that you would move us along to a place of surrender where we can, we can see your, your glory, your picture, your portrait that you're, you're painting and how we fit into it. And even if we don't fit into it, we see the, see the goodness of God in Jesus Christ and we say, yes, Lord. And our hands become open for what you want to do. Thank you, Father, for these moments that we can think together about these things. Uh, minister in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.